evening again in the precious name of Jesus. I trust that you are glad that you're here this evening, not just because Truman is here or your friends are here, but that you've come here to meet the Lord. And I trust that you have been praying to invoke God's presence here. You know, there's times when we think about we go to the church or we go to the meeting house, and there we're going to find God. And I believe that is the way that we should be looking at it. But God is not going to be found if we do not bring him there. I'm not limiting God to come into this building and to be here with us. But my friends, I believe the greater blessing will come when we bring God with us. This is only a tabernacle. This is only a shell. With the church of Jesus Christ, I do believe, lives in each one of our hearts. We are now the temple of God, and I'm grateful for that this evening. My Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, it talks there in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, But God has brought us together through Christ Jesus and made us sit together like this in heavenly places. And I trust this evening that this has been a heavenly place for you. This has been a heavenly place for me. There is one thing that we're looking forward to, and we've never been there, but I trust that we have goosebumps on our back when we think about Jesus Christ in John chapter 14 when he says, I will come again. That makes me hungry for heaven, and I don't know how you feel about that, but it is a place I've never been, and it's a place that I long to be. You know, there's times that you want to go where you've been, where it's nice. My friends, tonight, I believe that we have a desire to go there. We've never been there. Why do we want to go there? Is it because there's mansions there? Is it because of the beautiful streets of gold? My friends, I don't know how it's going to be, but I do know one thing, that I want to be there, and I want to worship at the feet of Jesus, and I want to sit with him around the marriage supper of the Lamb, my friend. And I trust that's our desire. Singing like this is tremendous. It is divine. I believe the closest thing that we can get to in heaven tonight is through singing. You know, when I think about singing, it's brought the greatest revivals throughout history. I don't know how you feel about it, what you've read about revivals, but singing and revivals have always gone together. You know, there's one thing that's going to come to completion when Jesus Christ comes back, and that is going to be the preaching and prophesying the word, but the singing is going to continue, and we're going to sing throughout eternity. We're going to sing without limitations. We're going to sing with no coughing. We're going to sing with voices. I believe that St. Peter might even look over, and he's going to tell you to be quiet, close her down a little bit. You know, I believe that's the way it's going to be. Singing is going to be throughout eternity. You know why I think it's so beautiful? Because we're going to have a song. It's going to be a new song. And I believe that new song, a heavenly song, what makes that a heavenly song that has never been sung by anybody and cannot be sung by anybody but the saints? Why is that? Because there is no voice. There is no hint of redemption in that song. There is no hint of sin that we have experienced on this earth. I believe it's going to be a song that is free from all kinds of things of redemption and all kinds of things of sin. Tonight, I'm glad to be here with you and experience this time together. I have been uplifted and blessed. If I could say amen and close in prayer, I believe that we have been revived already this evening. And God bless you, dear family, for sharing. When I see all these little grandbabies up here with Grandma and Grandpa and their children, my heart is blessed. And, you know, it humbles me. The fact that we as God's people, we have such an opportunity and a window. We have a window of time. We don't know when God's going to close the door, and we trust that he won't. 
and we hedge on the odds that tomorrow will be just like today, and next week will be like last week, and we look forward to having grandbabies. We look forward to having our lineage go on, and that we can direct our children and grandchildren and those to come to follow after God and to be faithful. But you know what? There's people that are suffering in countries today that have love, love for the Lord. There's people that have a love of the Lord, and we forget it's easy for us to sit on our knees, and we push our knees underneath the table of God's banquet table of the gospel and freedom, and we forget about those people. But one time, my friends, it was our people that were suffering, and I believe that suffering is coming to our land maybe sooner than what we think it is. And if, do we have a faith when it's going to be called up? Will our faith stand? Will our faith stand? Tonight I trust that there's only one way that we know that we have an assurance in Jesus Christ, and that is when His Spirit, com, com, when, he, com, when He communicates with our spirit that we are the sons of God, and we would have that, my friends. The early believers had that. The early believers, they were not in question whether they are Christians or not, or believers. I believe when they came to the knowledge of the saving power of Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of sin by the atonement of the shed blood, my friends, they knew that they were saved. It was the nominal Christian society that came along later that weren't sure whether they were saved. They didn't know for sure. My friends, tonight, I do believe that God has given us a hope. He has abundant mercy upon us, and he has given us the lively hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need not to live in defeat. You know, there's many people today into churchanity, we would say, into Christianity that are living in defeat because they have not accepted the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection. You know, the thing of it is, Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He, was, he died for our salvation. He rose again, my friends, for our justification. You remember that word? You do some history on that word. You check that word out. He rose again for our justification. And there in that lies the power. He did not raise by himself, but he rose by the power of God. That's the only way he could raise. And he ascended to heaven, my friends, to make intercession for you and I. And there's where he's at today. And he's coming again for our glorification. And my friends, we need to live lives that are consecrated in sanctification every day. The Bible talks about the washing of the water of the word and we need to be washed daily I believe through the washing of the word we can go out we can take as many baths as we want we can go to all kinds of meetings and expect we can be washed again and this and that and I believe that we have a sanctifying experience when we indulge in the word of God but that's the only way my friends we're going to be sanctified is through the washing of the water of the word Tonight I like to speak about a doctrine, and I'm one that loves to preach. I'm not much one to settle down and do some teaching. It takes effort for me to do that. The Bible says that a bishop is to be apt to teach, and so I want to teach tonight on the doctrine of repentance. Last evening we had that of revival, and I believe revival is something that gets our heart in tune. It gets our mind in a situation where we can think about revival. And where should it start? It should start with me, not just with my brother or sister, but it goes on from revival, my friends. We cannot have true revival unless we have repentance. The doctrine of repentance is so important. I like to share. I know time is going to be against me tonight. I don't want to make it too long. You have many evenings to come out, and I appreciate that. May God bless you for that. 
But there is something I'd like to share prior to the fact that we get into the doctrine of repentance, and that is the thing, and I'm not sure if you've heard about it or not. Back when I was growing up, I used to hear the thing of the second work of grace, and I don't know if there's anybody here tonight that believes in that or that there believes that there is a time and a moment when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then afterwards somehow that you have a cleansing effect to where you are free from the, the effects of sin, the effects of the flesh. My friend, it was something that it may not be as prevalent today as it was back when I was younger, but it is something that has plagued our people in years past, and I trust it does not you. It is a false statement. It is something that is an error. It is, I cannot find it in the Scripture, my friends. There is nothing I do believe like the second work of grace. Tonight, you're going to say, Preacher, you're a young man. You haven't experienced a lot, but the Bible does tell me me that the work on the cross, when he it was finished, it was finished, my friend. I believe there was once and for all, there was atonement made, and there does not need to be a second time. I realize that there's times where there's going to be, in fillings of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be times when we feel closer to God than other times, my friends, but I don't believe if the work of the cross, the atonement, was not good enough for salvation and the wholeness of that package, my friend, that it was not Jesus Christ. He came as a perfect sacrifice. He came as a propitiation for our sins, and we need not to look for another. Am I correct on that? Amen. I trust that we are convinced on that. You know, there are errors that are floating about. Last evening I said I want to preach in a way that would establish your faith in power and in spirit and that it's not of the wisdom of man, nor is it of the philosophies of man, but that of grace and power. And I trust this evening and the days to come, that's only I know what to preach. And, you know, it was mentioned tonight that Brother Truman would not share anything or preach anything that he shouldn't or that it would come across that would be an heir to the gospel. That's my burden. As long as I know the scripture and I love my Lord, I don't want to err on that. If there is something like that, I stand to be corrected. And I humble myself before you and God as brethren, like faith that you would come to me and share with me in that way. Because I don't want to share anything that's an error. Anything that's an error. The Bible says in Corinthians that when grace is made perfect in my weakness. Now you just think about that. Grace is made perfect. Jesus said that my grace is sufficient for thee. And it's not necessarily when we feel that we are strong, but when we are weak, when we are weak. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says in chapter 1 verse 3, it says that when we are weak, when we are with much fear and trembling, I believe that is a grace that God gives us at that time. His grace is sufficient. It's not for those who are arrogant and those who are proud, but it's those who are living a life of penitence. You think tonight, well, brother, sharing on the doctrine of repentance, while well, most of us in here have repented already, years gone by, and how, why do we need any message on repentance? There was a little lady years ago that said that she was, she was in a church for 30 years before she heard repentance preached across the pulpit. And I trust God forbid that is not in our case. That is not in our circles. We are God's people. I'm not saying that we are so much better than other people, but we've been sanctified. We've been separated. We've been set apart. Why? For a purpose. God does not want mixture. He wants that which is separated from the world. He wants something that stands out, something to bring him glory and honor and praise. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
And I trust that as we look at that verse tonight in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we are saved by grace through faith. And that is the only way that we can come to God. It is not of our own merits. It is not something that we can attain, but it is something that we obtain. Obtain is something that we get as a gift. It's something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve the gift that God has given to us through his grace. But we obtain it. We just reach out and we just take it. And we are so grateful. We are so grateful. And how are we living in that gratitude? Or have we taken it for granted? Have we just kind of set it aside and said, well, this is just a nominal type of thing. And I've had it all my life. And we've had freedom we have not been persecuted in the flesh like other countries and somehow we just kind of take it for granted my friends tonight i believe that repentance is his life tonight if you're a christian as if it was if you're not a christian if you're not a believer if you're not a believer tonight and you haven't repent you needed to do so and that's the only way that we're going to experience the new birth is through repentance there's a lot of ways that people come into the kingdom. They try to get into the kingdom, but there's no other way. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. There are ways that people try to climb in. There is no other way but through the Jesus Christ. He is the porter. He is the shepherd at the door, and he is the one that will let you in. And it is not going to be upon casual Christianity. There is a lot of Christianity. There is a lot of name it and claim it across our land today. It is about a half an inch deep, my friends, and 3,000 miles wide in America. That's the way Christianity is today. Unless we become intentional, unless we understand what it means to repent. You know, there's times you say, my dear brother, preacher, friend, you know, I've lived a good life. I'm a good moral person. I don't need to repent. My friends, tonight, unless we see the need for repentance, we will not be saved. Even though we've been saved 30 years ago and we have repented, my friends. You know, when we think of Job, when we think of Job there in Job chapter 42, we see there how he, he was looking at the Lord and the greatness and the majesty of the Lord. He was looking at how his omnipotence was. He was looking at how exalted he is and everything. And Job was one that had suffered these 40-some chapters in the Bible. We read about the boils and the things that he had. And Job was one that had suffered. Why did he have to repent? The Bible says in Job chapter 42, in verse 6, it says, When Job understood who he was in the sight and the light of God, it said he repented in dust. And in ashes. Why was he a bad man? No, my friends. That's the way that we come before the Lord. You know, we can walk around as arrogant as we want to. We can walk around with everything on our side. We can walk around with all kinds of accumulations. We're acquisitive people. We enjoy to accumulate. You know why? We don't want to give things away. The Bible says, you know, there's things that we need to do to show that we've repented. The Bible says, John, you know, his message was there in Mark we read, in Matthew we read, where it says that we are to bring forth fruit, meat to repentance. We could say meat worthy to repentance. In Luke chapter 3, verse 10, it talks the same way. They were asking Jesus, you know, what shall we do then? And he said, repent. You shall otherwise, you shall perish with these people, the ones that were being accusations upon them, unless you repent. You know, the thing of it is, we see someone else in sin. We see someone else sometimes living a life that isn't right. And we want to pass judgment. And somehow we've got the answers for them. But you know what we need to do at that time? I believe we need to repent. 
Why? Is it because I have done something wrong? No, maybe not. But we need to repent. What happened to Job? When he recognized and exalted God and his majesty and his omnipotence, my friend, you know what he did? He humbled himself and he repented. And the Bible goes on and talks there. I believe it's in verse 10. You can look it up if you want to. It's in Job chapter 42. It says, when, the Jonah, when Job, when he prayed for his friends, what happened? There was something, you know, when we get the focus off of ourselves and our great needs that we have, we think in the physical flesh and our pain and afflictions. When we look at out and others, we look at the majesty of God and he's seen the great need of his friends and the need that they had. They came to give him some kind of a comfort and they were a torment to him. And when he prayed for them, my friends, the Bible says in verse 10 that the Lord lifted the captivity of Job and he blessed him with twice as much as he had before. You know, he had 10 children before. And he again had 10 children and he much cattle and asses and camels and so forth. God blessed him. Why? Because of that very thing. He had, he had recognized the exalted God and God in heaven who he was. And there he humbled himself and he repented. He repented. And therefore, I believe God could look upon him with favor. So you're saying tonight, brother, I have to go home and repent. I don't know what your situation is, but unless we live lives of lives of penitence, I'm not talking about lives that have long faces and that we are somehow living in some kind of a pity party. I'm talking about lives that are living in repentance, lives of penitence, brokenness, and surrender. We live in a time where we do not hear the thing of surrender and the thing of obedience is out the door. You know, my friends, there is something we can obey God, but unless we live a life of repentance, we will never please Him. We will never please Him without repentance. We can obey Him. We can be conjoled in all kinds of things, try to get us to do something somehow that we could just reform a little bit better, maybe be a little bit better of a church member, and there's never a real change. My friend, when there is someone that has made a change, intentionally has repented, he's not staying two or three steps behind the world, and then, you know, he's okay, but he has turned around, and he's going the other way. You know, I remember being a part of a ministry one time where the preacher got up and said, as long as we stay behind the world, several steps they see we're different my friends the bible says nothing that we're going to be different it says we're peculiar we're peculiar because we love the lord we're separated there is a difference there is a turning around and going the other way do you believe that Amen. That's the only way, my friends, that God's going to be pleased with our oblations and our sacrifices is if we turn around in repentance and go the other way not just try to stay behind the world. The world has not become worldly. You know, I hear people say, oh, the world is in terrible shape. It is. Things have gotten out of the closet that were back in the 40s and 50s were back in there, and they should have stayed there. The Bible said it is, a, it is an abomination to even speak about those things. But, you know, they've come out of the closet, and they're amongst us, my friends. We should live our lives. It may not be even as much as in testimony, as I said last night when David repented, that he had a testimony of the Lord. But it says how that Noah, when he lived his life, and he built the ark, and he obeyed God. You know what happened? It says that his life, very life, condemned those of the world. He didn't have to say a whole lot. Why? Because they seen he was living a life of obedience to the Lord. He was following the Lord with his whole heart and with intentions. And we see a family tonight. Boy, God bless you in singing tonight. I don't want to lift you too high. May we humble ourselves and repent the fact that God has given us the grace to have a family like we have tonight singing. 
May we have that in heaven. You know, we're looking forward to that. Tonight, I just, my heart bleeds for our people. We have a tremendous heritage, and it is not salvation. And my friends, let us not hide under and behind that. It is not our security. It is something that we can find fellowship and edification in and growth and be blessed and so forth. But it is not salvation. Don't, don't hide yourself behind your lineage or your heritage. It is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. We have a goodly heritage. And let us not exalt ourselves in that, but let's praise the name of the Lord for it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, when we think about the second work of grace, the statement has been made that somehow, you know, supposedly there is a defining moment when you come to the Lord. And then there's another, some kind of a defining moment later that you come to an understanding of complete sin-freeness and cleansing and sanctification of the flesh. The Bible that I have, I believe, does have things of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It does have things that talks about sanctification. But it's not separate situations. It is together, my friends. It is that thing, and I would like to counteract that very thing tonight. Give teaching on the fact of against the second work of grace. Do I believe that there is an infilling of the Holy Spirit even after times of the new birth. I do, but it is not separate from the work of salvation. Don't believe that. It's an error. If I'm wrong tonight, I'd like to be admonished on that and shown, but it has been an error in the times that I know of in my short time. I'm not quite 60, but I've seen a few things and heard a few things. Last night we had some noise here with the rain. Tonight we have bugs. And I think they like this Missouri fresh meat. Actually, it's old wrinkled meat. But they like it. And they have been fighting black flies ever since I got here tonight. I don't know why. But I'm going to try to preach without the flies getting the best of me. If I get carried away, I trust you will too, okay? Hallelujah. Anyway, the little black flies, God placed them here for a purpose. The initial experience should be that of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Coming to understand, you know, the Bible does talk about a life somewhat of perfection. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, it says, Be ye perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And that is some of the scripture that is used in the fact of the second work of grace. But I do not see any scriptures to substantiate that. It is the sanctification is like this. If I can share it with you tonight in the most elementary way, not because that you are simple, but the best that I can share it with you is the fact that every time you pour water in a bucket and that bucket does not hold water, it's got holes in it and it leaks. It may not hold water, but every time you pour water in it, it becomes a little bit clearer and it becomes a little bit cleaner. And that's the way, the most simple way that I can explain what sanctification is. Sanctified by the washing of the water of the word. What did Jesus pray in the high priestly prayer? There it says in John chapter 17, verse 17, he says that I would pray that you shall be sanctified by what? By some kind of experience or some other deity or whatever. It says by the word, by the word. And in John chapter 5, it talks about the washing of the water of the word being sanctified. It talks about husband and wife there and the church, and so forth. 
but being sanctified by the washing of the water of the word. That's where sanctification comes in. It's not an initial, additional experience outside of salvation. It is an ongoing thing. Now, the thing of it is, if we are indoctrinated with the fact that there is something like the second work of grace, what happens? It gives us a security that, okay, I'm not completely holy. I can kind of continue on in sin, but somehow I'm in, 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 in the righteousness of God because I have been... I've accepted Jesus Christ, but I haven't come to that second point yet. So there can be a false security in that. But let me tell you, there's also a downside to that. There is a self-condemnation in that. The fact that you have not quite reached that yet, and you're waiting for that. And then you have verses like John chapter 6, verse 44. says, no man's going to come to the Father except he that sent him draw him. You know, there's people that hedge on the odds and come to God whenever they want to. No, my friends, I'm sorry. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, in verse 6 and 7, it says there to seek the Lord while he may be found. While he's talking tonight, while his spirit is present, you seek the Lord. We don't hedge on the odds of the fact that we're going to somehow, when I've sowed my wild oats, when I've been done living out in the world, then I can come to him, my friends. That's a terrible, terrible place to be. Don't ever, my young person, or anyone tonight, sit here and think that you have odds of hedging on when you can come to the Lord. God is merciful, but he will not always strive with men. He will not always do that. And we don't know where his mercy line is. So I would rather believe that there is one exclusive experience, and that is when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the saving of our souls, that our sins are washed away by the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now we can fall back. I'm not teaching tonight eternal election. I'm not teaching eternal security. But I'm saying that as long as we stay in God's love, and long as we stay in his presence and relationship, we can be called his sons and daughters. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah for that tonight. I'd like to question, if you you have been thinking about the thing of the second world uh, work of grace, When is a child of God that comes to the Lord in repentance, when does he become a saint? Is it a year after he's been born again? Or is it when he's an older man like we have these gentlemen sitting here? What do you think about when you think of a saint? I think we have had the preconceived idea that somehow I have not been able to reach like The level of this brother here close to the aisle, somehow he's a saint. He's a saint. And I believe that is good. That is good. You know, I have oak trees. We drive down our lane. It's about a half a mile long. And we have oak trees down there. They're beautiful. Somebody came in and cleaned out everything before we bought it. And it's nice, big. It's it's nice. It's like walking in a church house. And there's a lot of gray-haired old men sitting there in stability and so forth. We say they're saints of God. What about the little saplings that are coming up? They're also oak trees. They're oak trees. Are they saints? If they've been born again, my friends, they're saints. Tonight, I don't care how young you are. If you have made an expression for Jesus Christ and you are living a life of obedience and you want to please the Lord with all your heart, you're a saint. You believe that tonight? I believe that. I trust you all do. You know what that does? It gives us the power and the grace to live lives that are undefeated. 
You know, we have a lot of young people, I believe, that have not had the encouragement, have not come to the place where they have understood that they're saints in, in believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, the thing of it is, they're walking a life of faith and obedience. And you know, the thing of it is, they get discouraged. Oh, that we can raise up a young generation. We have young people that are discouraged tonight. And I would like to tell you, young person tonight, don't become discouraged. There is hope. There is hope because Jesus is alive. He's not in the tomb. You know, we're the only faith, my friends. We're the only religion that their Savior is in heaven. He's been resurrected. All other religions, their leaders are laying in the tomb. We've been resurrected by the power of God. I remember years ago, there was a man by the name of Glenn Kilmer. I don't know how many of you know him. He was from Minnesota, Wisconsin, somewhere. Years ago, my wife and I, we had a young family. We still have a young daughter. But, she, by the way, she's not our granddaughter. We love her. She's our youngest daughter. But it was uh, Louis Graber, I think it was, maybe Glenn Kilmer. They were going out to California and uh, doing street meetings. And they, they had this uh, vice lord, this uh, Muslim man, that they had been taking care of for some time and discipling. And uh, they called me and wondered if I would uh, be able to take care of him while they go out there. I said, well, let me confide with my wife. We have little children, so there's a few liabilities. We don't just uh, say yes right off the top of our head. Our first obligation is our family. And so we said, we, we would. We would. And so uh, they came. They dropped him off, and we had a fairly good experience. He went to church with us and so forth. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, how am I supposed to minister to this Muslim? This is not just a Muslim. He's a vice lord. And I don't know if you know what vice lords are, but they're very wicked gang members out of Duluth, Minnesota and Minneapolis, Minnesota. Very wicked people. Stealing cars and killing people for a hamburger. Five cents and throwing in four, by the way. This man came. You know, he wasn't married. But I asked I ask the Lord, how shall I minister to this man? And... The thing that I, I was drawn to all the time was the fact that, you know, you've got to tell him that Jesus Christ is not in the tomb. And Muhammad is in the tomb. And it seemed like that was the only way that I could get through to him. That Jesus Christ, the one that we are serving, has resurrected, not by his own power. The Bible says by the power of God, his father. And Muhammad is in the tomb tonight. Do I love the Muslim people? I love them. Does Jesus love him? He loves him. Does God love him? He loves him. He created him. But my friends, any other religion or gospel that is taught where the leader is not resurrected, it is false doctrine. It is not truth. We have a risen Savior. And do we live like we have a risen Savior? Do we live lives of repentance? I don't believe that when a person has been truly born again, that you're going to have to ask him whether he's a Christian. Is that too hard? I, I've thought about, a lot about that. Is that a safe statement? There may be those that are babes in Christ that are growing, and I give room for that. I haven't always been what I am today. God's mercy, God bless our brothers and sisters had grace upon me not to compromise with sin, 
But if a person is going the right way, let them go and encourage them. They not, may not be exactly where you want to see them today, but if they're going the right direction, praise the Lord. I think that's the thing that has discouraged our young people. And I'm not, get, I'm not trying to lift the young people up tonight in a place that they shouldn't be. But I'm saying tonight, if our young people aren't quite where they maybe should be, where you as elders and people would like to, we, you know, we have our refined churches, we have our refined doctrines and so forth. And that's good. I'm not minimizing that. But if they're not quite exactly where you would like to see them, my friends, if they're going the right way. I wasn't always what I am today. And I don't know if you have been. It's by the grace of God that I am what I am. Now, if they're not going the right way, then we needed some attention. Trying to live a Christian life Let's not discourage one another. <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, But by the will of God we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ. How often? Once and for all. And that makes the power of the gospel very alive. It makes for victorious Christian living. Paul addressed a very young congregation in Corinthians. In chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, verse 2, he makes a salutation to them as the church of God, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. They must have been very young believers, a very young congregation. And it says, called to be saints. Sanctified means to set apart, be dedicated, made holy. Isn't that we are perfect, but we are striving to follow God in everything. It's a complete package, my friends. I believe when we are born again, we stand in perfect wholeness, in completeness, and in holiness. Who shall walk holy? Is it those that are steeped in the gospel or spiritually minded? Or is it those that have made a proclamation for Jesus Christ? God says, be holy even as I am holy. Without holiness, no man shall see God. So does that mean we need to be 50, 60 years old before we're holy? No. When we become born again believers, we walk a life of holiness. How? Through the power of the gospel through sanctification because Jesus Christ was justification for us when he arose from the dead. He has given us the power that we need to live lives of holiness. So repent. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Why repent? Because God has appointed a day, as it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says there that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. In what? In righteousness. The God, the Heavenly Father, the, 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 the Lord of mercy. He's a God that's going to judge. He, the Bible says in German, has a rechter Richter. A rechter Richter. And the dark from the Ewigkeit to come. In a day, in an appointed time, he's going to judge the world in righteousness. By whom? By that one man, 
who was ordained, Jesus Christ. By one man. Peter preached. You know the thing I think about in chapter 2 in Acts? Chapter 2, verse 38. Peter was preaching. The people's hearts were pierced. Oh, they come to him and say, what shall we do? And Peter, I believe they were shaken in their shoes. Why? Because Peter touched some of the very things in their heart. He, the Holy Spirit was bringing conviction. My friends, you don't have to, a person does not have to be a believer before the Holy Spirit can speak to him. Why? Because when God breathed into mankind, he breathed a bit of himself in there. Why? So we have the fellowship and communication with them. That was broken, but it can be restored again. You know, the first hint we read of that restoration and that redemption is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We read about that. There was a very hope where the seed of the woman is going to smash the seed of the serpent. He will bruise our heel. You know, I'm grateful tonight, and I don't know how you feel about the thing of conviction. I don't know how you feel about the thing of repentance. Maybe you don't even want to be here tonight. I don't know. But when people's hearts are pricked and convicted, there's only one thing that's going to give them a peace, and that is not just a partial, but that is a complete surrender of repentance. We have many people in our churches today that have repented only partially. Why? They're afraid to come out. They're too vulnerable. It's too vulnerable and scary. It would be a disaster to my reputation if I would repent in complete surrender. Oh, I build walls, we heard tonight. Build walls. I don't want anybody in there. People like that, my friends, churches are full of them. We don't want to be one of those. We want to be people that are repentant people, completely surrendered. Peter said what they need to do. He says, repent. He says, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of your sins, that ye may what? At the second work of grace? No. He said that you may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Is that right? Amen. Amen. At that time. And great fear fell upon all people. Many signs and wonders were done. And there were some 3,000 added to the church that were they waiting on some kind of a grace that comes yet. Tonight, I want to tell you, you say, well, brother, aren't there times when I can actually experience more of God than I do other times? I trust you can. I trust you can. I know it's that way. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit oft times, Cornelius was a good man. You know, we can preach moral. We can preach etiquette. We can preach all kinds of things that are real good to our program and our church. And we should. Ephesus was a good church. They had a tremendous thing going. You know, but there was one thing that they had changed their focus from Jesus to what else? To keeping the church pure. And that is important, my friends. To keep the church pure. But when we change our focus from Jesus Christ to other things, my friends, we can be very diligent and we can be very critical of others. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, there's such a thing as a godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, I have a few scriptures here that I know that you haven't been turning to. That's fine. I've been skipping around on some of those scriptures. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. So those are writing it down. There is a godly sorrow 
that shall not be repented of. There is a worldly sorrow that worketh not salvation, but worketh death. What I'd like to mean by that is Peter, when he had denied Christ, there was a remorse and there was a sorrow in his heart for the way he denied the Lord. And he went out and wept bitterly. That was a godly sorrow. That was a sorrow not to be repented from and of. And you know what it did? It worketh salvation. There was a man by the name of Judas that was sorry he got caught in betraying Jesus Christ. He had his sorrow, but it did not work to repentance. It was a worldly sorrow, and it worked death. In the book of Hebrews, there was a man by the name of Esau. He sought repentance. He sought repentance, it says, with tears. Is it important not to hedge on the graces and the mercy of God? It is very much. Esau was a man that sought that tonight. I don't know where you are tonight as far as in repentance Maybe you've had relationship problems that you don't know how to cure. And you don't know the things that you've done. You feel like they've actually been things that should bind up and help the relationship. But it just seems like it doesn't work. My friends, tonight I beg you to repent. Just repent. Is it because Job was such a bad man that he had to repent in sackcloth and ashes? No. It's because of who God is and who we are. And maybe through our repentance, somehow, it would draw that person to Christ. How is that? It's the workings of God. How do I know? I know they work. I don't know how. It's the mysteries of the gospel. I'm committed, I'm committed to preach the mysteries of the gospel. With uttermost unction and power will God give me breath. Tonight... I want to close with prayer. I could have another message tomorrow night on the rest of this. But my friends, it doesn't matter if you're living in, it does matter if you're living in sin. But if you need repentance tonight and you need to become broken before God, when you spill out, don't just spill out partially. A full surrender. Not just a thing that you are just, just inside the courts, the walls of the church, and you're kind of being obedient. But every little thing that is done or said, you have to be cajoled to it. And somehow you can just barely reform. My friends, tonight I'm telling you, there is nothing like, trans there's nothing like reformation in the children of God unless you are transformed. As it says, these young children said, it's there this evening in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In verse, chapter, verse 2, it says that we are to be transformed by the renewing. It doesn't say that we are to be reformed. It says to be transformed. My friends, tonight, if there are people in our congregations that are transformed by a turning around, a different thought process, a thing that is completely different from what you've been thinking, that is the thing of being born again. My friends, if people are trying to just escape the punishments of hell by being in church, I'm afraid they'll go there. If that's the only thing that keeps them as a member of the congregation, 
unless they have truly been born again and been transformed by the transforming, the renewing of the mind, they will not reform. That transformation is going to bring reformation, but reformation will never bring transformation. Reformation will never bring transformation. May I say that honestly? I do believe that. I do believe that we need minds and hearts that are truly transformed. Why and how is through repentance, complete surrender. Let's bow our heads as we pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would be with us here in this closing hours of the day. You've been grateful to us, Father. We have looked to you this morning and as pure as you've given us this day this morning, we ask God that we could close this day. And as the sheep shepherd of the flock tonight, I pray that you would just bless this congregation, this assembly in a special way. And if there's needs here tonight, that you would manifest them through the work of your Holy Spirit. Maybe there's someone that has been struggling and it just needs to be broken and just given up and just allow you to do a miracle, a work in their life. We know that you are faithful to do that and you will do that tonight, Father. I just pray that you would bless the words that were spoken in honesty and truthfulness, Father, as much as I know how. Oh, Father, I pray that I would be held in account by the brethren, the faithful brothers here in this assembly, that I would not share or say anything that I shouldn't. We're grateful for the gift of repentance, that we can repent and we can be convicted in a way that would draw us to you in surrender, Lord. Tonight, if we come before you, help us not to just do it partially, but in complete surrender unto you. Not just try to obey certain things and commands, but be those that would desire to please you to the most and the utmost of our abilities. We pray in Jesus' name.